the things in your minds that you are sidestepping, walking around, making decisions around, whatever, they are not real. And fear, you have a choice to make of whether or not fear or your dreams are going to determine the outcome in your life. And, you know, getting mad activates me. I was like pissed off. And I'm not going to let fear drive the outcomes in my life. I wouldn't parent my kids that way towards that. I wouldn't coach my leaders towards that. I wouldn't follow somebody who was making decisions like that. Like what the world, Tiffany? What the world? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Flow Over Fear podcast, where it is our mission to help you to rise above fear and realize your ultimate potential in leadership and life. I'm your host, Adam Hill, and it is my goal to share with you the human side of high performance. My guests share their experience with fear, anxiety, struggle, challenge, and most importantly, despite all of it, how they rose above it to achieve incredible results. So if you're ready to rise up, let's get started. Hey, everyone. Thanks for being here. Welcome to Flow Over Fear. I'm really excited for our guest today. I had a chance to see my guest, Tiffany Souter, uh, speak at the recent EOS conference in front of thousands of entrepreneurs. And after our after her keynote, I had to immediately reach out and ask her to be on the show because I tell you, her message hit. And uh, thankfully, she said yes, and she's joining me today. And I'm really thrilled uh, to dig in and learn from her today. Uh, Tiffany Souter is a wife, a mom, an entrepreneur, a CEO, a board member, investor, and mentor. 17 years ago, she founded Element 3, and ever since, she and her husband have been building their companies and their family on the exact same timeline. And that means four kids, three businesses, and two careers, all building toward one abundant life. And while Element 3 uh, now has a growing stack of accolades and awards, this isn't the whole story. An amazing team and a hefty dose of hard work, wrong decisions, and scary nights, and we've all been through those, Mm -hmm. are all the big picture of how she got here. Tiffany has learned that it isn't our trophies that are transferable, but it's our scars and our stories. I love that. Thank you for being here, Tiffany. Yeah, thanks for having me, Adam. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Uh, As am I. And uh, and I, I, I mean, when I first saw you on 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 the EOS stage, uh, it was really powerful because it really connected with me as somebody who's, you know, trying to achieve more. And I think one of the things that I want to dig into is this life of and that you talk about, because a lot of us, you know, struggle with this idea. A lot of us feel like we have this fear that you talk about that we have to live a life of or where we're, you know, choosing between things. Um, and for those of us who try to live the life of and, it may feel overwhelming. And so I was hoping you could just jump into your story and how how you got to that philosophy. Maybe maybe give us a little backstory on on where you came from. Yeah, um, yeah. I I think that um, we'll kind of do a speed round here to orient people to my background. I'm a small town kid. I'm the oldest of four, uh, and I'm the kid of an entrepreneur. And all that is relevant because I just grew up around a lot of risk. I grew up a lot around a lot of hard work. I grew up around a lot of like, I mean, if you can think it, you can do it. Um, And I'm a girl and I have two brothers, but my dad, like I was in a bobcat. So were my brothers. I grew up on a farm, you know, you drive at 14. So were my, like, I was just sort of like, we were treated the same. Um, And my dad had high expectations of us. He had um, work ethic was really important to him. And that's like what I grew up around. And then you like turn into this adult, you know, ish version of yourself. And I started in the corporate world, realized that I just, I'm an entrepreneur. I like seeing the outcome of my decisions very quickly. I'm pretty comfortable being wrong. Actually, I just like the iterating process gives me a lot of energy. I don't actually care if I don't get it right. Like I just can't, my, my brain really moves quickly to like, well, what's the next thing we could try? Mm -hmm. Um, And then I, about, I don't know, you know, I I told the story in my EOS talk in 2018, my life hit this big inflection point. And um, I play life a little like like a game of bumper cars. And I think I'm getting better at that in my old age. And I'm grateful for that. But I speed really fast until I hit something. And I don't always pick up the cues that maybe this isn't the right direction. Maybe you should 
you know, gear down. Maybe this is too much. Maybe you're putting too much pressure. Maybe you're running too hard. Maybe you're not sleeping enough. Maybe you're not investing in relationships. And I think the like, you know, my background of like being a farm kid raised by an early, like I was there on the early stage entrepreneur part (laughs) where resources (laughs) were lean and work was rich. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, we joke that my youngest brother lived the reverse of that. But, you know, I was the, I was the ramen years. That's what I lived. That's what I grew up in. And so I think some of those habits didn't serve me as I got to be older and my belief that I could brute force my way through a lot of really hard things, my belief that if my intentions were good, then the outcomes would be right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I got to a place where I was in so much chaos and I was physically so tired that I had to start looking at life differently. So I guess that gets us to the drama part of the story, but I can <laughs> I can keep going or I can pause there. <laughs> yeah, no, I I appreciate that backstory. So and and I'd love to kind of learn more, maybe expand on on how that chaos come came to be, uh, because I know a lot of us can get into that chaos. We just we want a lot, and so how how did how did that chaos show up, and and what type of fear were you experiencing that? Yeah, well, I think everything started to break. So, you know, my, and I, I think, you know, you probably have this too. Like people will call me and they'll be like, I don't know how to fix this. And they're looking for a band aid. And it's like, well, it's actually breaking. Like you have to acknowledge that to yourself. It's breaking. Your relationships are breaking. My business was breaking. My friendships were breaking. I, like it was all breaking. And we like look, it takes a lot of courage, which is why I talk a lot about vulnerability of like saying that to yourself. Like, no, it's breaking. Because yeah. if it's breaking, then either it's going to go away or you have to try something you haven't tried before, which I think is where the fear starts to set in of like, well, what do I do instead? Mm-hmm. And you have all this self-justification that the things that you're doing are noble and right. Yeah. If you didn't think that, you wouldn't do them. And so you have all this, I think, like ill-placed conviction and because we're grownups and we are like, as kids believed when we were grownups, we would know what we were doing. I think we like sit on those for way longer instead of like, this is not serving me. And I just, I got to the place where I was just pissed off. I was like, mm-hmm. this cannot be what being a grown-up is all about. It can't be. And if it is, I, I don't want this version of it. I don't want to be tired all the time. I don't want to be saying to my husband all the time, I'm overwhelmed and exhausted. I don't want to be physically present in places and be mentally on to the next thing. I don't want to be at work planning my kids' birthday party. I don't want to be at my kids' birthday party thinking about the work that I'm not getting. I don't want, like, I don't want this. This is madness. This is stupid. And if this is what it's all about, I don't want to any part of it. And I don't Mm -hmm. mean that in the sense of like, I was suicidal. I was just like, objectively, this sucks. Yeah. And so if the game everybody's playing gets you to this outcome... Like, I'm good. I want a different game. Like, how do I change the game for myself? And so getting mad and admitting to myself, I actually hate this. I, like, I hate it all. How do I change it? And that really became the moment where I was like, well, mentally, I had to let go of everything and mm-hmm. decide as in my like, in recollecting the parts of my life that I wanted to go with me into the future, whatever that looked like, I kind of pick through them one by one so yeah so that that's and that's that's helpful because uh i think a lot of us feel that that point and and we get and i know that i've i can relate to the idea of of trying to put a band-aid over a gaping wound like that whole you're breaking um and uh and and distinguishing between the differences i think you know one thing we should learn how to and maybe expand on how we do that but i'd love to kind of go back and and talk about so you started you know element 3 which is your company about 17 years ago so it's your baby you know you've created it and uh, and you have this you have a family and you're doing a lot of these things so you're deeply immersed in all of those things how how do you uh, and once you get to that breaking point where you're saying to yourself that you're hating this how do you come to a point where you are you know where you're able to let some of that stuff go but still operate in it does that make sense? Yeah, because yeah. totally. People, when I tell my story, they think about it very binary, like that I like quit being a mom, I quit 
you know, maintaining my house. I quit my job. Like, no, I had to right. like, you're right. You still have to show up tomorrow in the chaos that is your existence. Yeah. It's totally right, Adam. That's a really insightful question and observation. Um, but I became, instead of being only in it, <laughs> because I had to, I still had to do my calendar. I still had to get up in the morning. I still, I still need to do it. I would, I was also sitting above it mentally. Mm. Like, what about the day could have been different? What about the things I said yes to could I have said no to? What about the things that were two hours could have been one hour? What about the things I said to my husband were true and what were excuses because I had planned poorly? Mm-hmm. Like I started to look, to try to look at it more objectively. Um, and I will say like, I mean, I, you know, I tell the story like, you know, my, my marriage was kind of a mess. I mean, it was a mess. We were really mad at each other. There was a lot of hurt and he was more than happy to tell me where I was failing. Mm-hmm. I, some of it I needed to listen to. And I didn't want to because I also had my own bucket of things I was like very angry at him about. And so you start having to actually be a customer <laughs> of like, a mat- what if it's true? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. What if I actually am like, I'm actually putting him last every single day. And I would, you know, I had a very well rehearsed speech about how that wasn't true. Uh, it was true, actually. I didn't want to say that. I didn't want to own that. I didn't know what to do if that was true. I didn't know how to behave differently. And so then you start saying, okay, well, if, is that what I want to be? Do I want to be a wife who's entire marriage or at least as many days as you can put together before they decide to leave because they're put last all the time. Is that the marriage I want? Is that the wife I want to be? Is that what I want to be true of my commitment that he's last? And if it, if I were to change it, what would I do instead? And then you start thinking, taking yourself to that thought profile, like what would I do instead if he was first? Or let's just put him third. Let's imagine, you know, Sure. What would it look like? And you start, I would start taking myself through the mental exercise of what would it look like if he was first? And like some of it is like, I would, didn't even know actually. Mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. know what it would look like if he was first. I couldn't even picture it. So then I have the choice to make of, do I tell him? I don't know what it looks like to put you first, which probably hurts even more than me not putting him for it. You know, like, I'm just like, you have to pull the thread of like, how honest with yourself are you willing to be? How vulnerable are you willing to be in the situation? And you got to get to brass tacks about why is that true? And do I want that to be true? One of the, I'm creating some content right now. And one of my recent, you can tell me if this connects or not. One of my recent observations is that in our lives, there is always a list of things that are starving. Mm. Our job as discerning adults is to place things on that list that we actually want removed from our lives. Otherwise, it becomes this accidental game of what's starving and what's being fed. And we feed all kinds of things that we don't think are true about who we are, but they are actually very much true about who we are because we're feeding it so much. And to me, a very easy thing is like when I get an alert at the end of the week on how many hours per day I was on my phone. Some of it is like, it counts when I'm Google Maps and there's sure. a lot of construction in the city right now. And so you know, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not like a terrorist about this. But I asked myself, what was I feeding this week in what I was on my phone about? And is it things that I want to be resourced and fed and healthy? Or was it things on my starve list that I actually want to go away? And it's not about balance to me. It's not about, yes, there's like work-life integration, all this kind of stuff, but it is at different seasons of your life deciding what you're feeding, what are you starving? Because otherwise that is an accidental list that's being formed. Mm. I love I love that idea of avoiding, because we talk a lot about that balance idea, the work-life balance. And, and, you know, from a lot of the people that I've talked to on this podcast and a lot of I've learned from, I've learned that, the idea of balance is this this unachievable, you know, idea that takes a lot of energy to try try and pursue. But instead, like I love that idea that that you know there are seasons for this, and you're feeding different things in different seasons. And what I'm hearing throughout this conversation, 
and you know, correct me if I'm wrong because I might be misinterpreting, yeah. but that the idea that that we we come into situations or circumstances with these preconceived like ideas or paradigms or 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 beliefs about something that needs to happen. And when our expectations aren't met, we get angry and we fight it and we just deplete our energy trying to battle it instead of maybe flowing with it and trying to uh, adjust our 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 rhythm a bit or re or or internal or look inside and figure out where we're where we need to change. Am I off the mark on that or is that I, I think that's true. Um no I don't think you're off the mark. I, um this came to my mind. It's like adjacent it's like a first cousin to what we're talking about here and we'll see if yeah. it's helpful or not. Um one of my also observations and you know I'm in a marriage that's now almost 20 years and so it's not only that I'm figuring out how to do life by myself I'm trying to do life well with this human being that I've chosen um and so one of the tension points that come and I think this is like you know we already OS together so obviously you have this in your DNA as well but one of the tension points that come is when I am when I've chosen something to be on the, my starving list and he's mm-hmm. chosen it to be on his fed list. And when that is misaligned, it creates all this confusion and chaos. And when we're aligned on, this is the part of like, we're, we're very new to this season of um, kids and travel sports. Holy oh, cow. Yeah. Different space <laughs> in life and place and financial obligations and time and all the things. It's crazy town. I had no idea. I was not an athlete. This is nuts. And she loves it. And so we've committed to this. So that is on our fed list. One of the things that are probably will need to move to our starving list is fewer family vacations. I hate mm. that. I love the idea of it. But there's commitments that come with being on a team that we need to honor and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like learning this all because I'm like, I want to feed family vacations. And he's saying, no, we need to feed the commitment that our kid has made. And we have made as a family to sign her up for this thing. And I'm like, no, we had to go on family vacations. He's like, no, this. So until we both understood what are we feeding and what are we starving? We have misaligned priorities. And it's in that in so many areas, I think in our relationships, but um, I just think that speaks to just like alignment and, I think a little bit of what you were kind of recapping of what I said. Yeah, it it, do, it does. It helps. I mean, uh, the idea of like what we're starving and what we're what we're uh, you know what we're feeding is. It seems like you're moving it from like unintentional to intentional. You're yes. making the list, and you're okay. Yeah, yes, that, that makes exactly a lot right. of sense. Okay, and and I love um, you know I was I, I listened to a recent episode of your podcast, uh, Scared Confident, which I love that name, and I love the podcast. I'm a not, I'm a big fan now, and. Um, you had your husband on there and I was really intrigued by that because you, you were having this really honest conversation for everybody to hear about what's working, what's not working. Was that an element of how you started to repair the damage in your marriage or how, how did you get to that point where you can be that honest? Oh yeah. I mean, I get so much energy out of talking about the most real things with him. Um, and, yeah. and I think my friends would say this in my friendships too. It's like, I don't know, the byproduct of choosing to live life on the other side of fear, which is, you know, what you're helping guide listeners through too, is the things in your minds that you are sidestepping, walking around, making decisions around, whatever, they are not real. And fear, you have a choice to make of whether or not fear or your dreams are going to determine the outcome in your life. And I like, you know, getting mad activates me. I was like pissed off. And I'm not, I'm not going to let fear drive the outcomes in my life. I wouldn't parent my kids that way towards that. I wouldn't coach my leaders towards that. I, I wouldn't follow somebody who was making decisions like that. Like what the world, Tiffany, what the world? And my, like, again, my brain can be very binary. All of a sudden I was like, I am done with fearful thoughts. So what am I going to replace it with? That's my question of like, well, what do I do instead? I can't think nothing. Like, mm, what am I going to hum? Like I, I have to replace it with something. You know? What do I do instead? Um uh so there's I'm I'm a, I'm a Christian, so there's a biblical piece to this as well. There's a verse that says for God does not give us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of self-control. And so I was like, okay, if I'm not going to be afraid, what am I going to do instead? And so for me it was like well, I'm going to love. 
I'm going to love instead. I'm going to mm-hmm. love the person involved. I'm lo- And I just like practice loving, loving the earth, loving like what just being like, I'm going to move my energy from fear to love, from fear to love, from fear to love. And it was very strange and inanimate sometimes, but I was just like pushing my thoughts. Um, power to me was about awareness mm. that I'm in this moment and I'm taking my agency back. That's like, I'm moving the locus of control from fear to me. And taking the ball back was like, well, where do I go instead? And so then I would go to love and self-control. That was about discipline. I'm not, if I said I was going to do a podcast episode every single week, even if it's terrible, even if I hate it, even if I don't want to push play because fear would get all up in my head and, you know, or I'm going to do the thing. Even if fear makes it where I do it like 73% as good as my confident self could have done, I'm still going to do it. The discipline of doing is part of the way that I'm going to make fear go away. You didn't stop me today. You didn't stop me today. You didn't stop me today. And I, I that, that like train like got speed, you know? And so right. that was, that was kind of that side of it. Um, and the other piece, I went through a fear journey. I did a fear interview, which if you go to scare confident, there's a self-guided version of that that you can do. And got to an underlying understanding of where's my fear coming from and what is it trying to quiet? And the true motivation of my heart is that I am desperately for others. My growth and my compulsion to continue to put myself into hard situations to do things I've never done before is because I know the deeper my well is, the further the people who've chosen to follow me can run. I know that's Mm -hmm. connected. I know it is. And so I have this compulsion to get better so that I can make other people better. So whenever fear was like, you're making this about you, who do you think you are? Like little miss big deal, like always have something to say, your friends are going to roll their eyes. Like, like, this is what fear says to me. I would be like, I am desperately for others. I put myself in discomfort because I am desperately for others. And it began to replace the narrative. And it's not perfect every day, but I hit a lot harder. Like I have a higher batting average than I used to for sure. And just these two things of taking agency over it, replacing it with love and discipline and retracking the narrative in my mind with my fear statement, which is I am desperately for others. Well, I think you and I both rented the same uh, fear recording from Blockbuster <laughs> Video or whatever. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I get the same, I get same, the same comments. Yeah. What's your Enneagram? Do you know your Enneagram? Yeah, I'm a one. I'm a one. A one. Yeah. I have a lot of friends that are ones. I oh, hang really? out with a lot of them. I'm a three, okay. but I... Ones fascinate me because I dream of being that disciplined. I dream of being (laughs) like of life coming together in such an elegant way. That's the way I perceive it. Yeah. Here's the problem with it, though, is that that whenever I'm recording a podcast or solo episodes like that, and I don't know if you go through this, too, but I'm going to stop the recording about 15 times, like a minute in and then start re-recording. So that's like the perfectionist side. I don't know. Yeah, it's a thing. Like, you guys cycle hard. And I'm at threes. I think are good because I'm like, oh, we'll just do it again. No problem. We'll start over. We'll we'll ship it. We can like, you know, I've always got another one. So right. I have a lot of friends that are ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how, how does how does that come out with, with you as far as being a three? How how does knowing that, by the way, because that's a it's an interesting topic with the Enneagram. And I don't I know I know a bit about it, but not a whole lot. So do you uh uh do you find that knowing that information about yourself helps you to respond better with other or, or interact better with others or how, how has the Instagram helped you? Well, um, I'm, I would say I'm in like the third inning of my, uh, I don't know why so many sports analogies today, but <laughs> apparently that's what I rolled out of bed with. Um, it's because the Nuggets won the, won the championship last night. That's what yeah, I yeah. I did see that. Um, <laughs> my husband knows a sneaky amount about the NBA. Um, so, um, so threes know what others are feeling very quickly. They are less, comfortable with knowing what they feel. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a, you know, as I kind of talked about my like crash, I'm able to overpower what I feel to perform. And there's a real usefulness in that, but it becomes a real crippling part of who I am. If I don't listen well to my, my, I know my bot, like my body is my tell. I will like never feel, I'm like, but it starts to hold tension. I can feel my face get really tight. Yeah. My dog gets clenched. Like I know now the physical signs that I've got to figure out how to create some space to let myself feel whatever needs to come out because I get, I can just overperform. 
Um, and I can become way too reliant on what other people think of me as my primary driver for self-confidence and clarity about myself. And that's a really dangerous thing to give away to others. And so I've learned, um, just learned tools of like, even after the EOS talk, it went really well. It's like, my question was not like, thank you so much. It was like, what connected with you? Like, how do I how do I be intentional about not having this be about my ego getting bigger and be really thoughtful about how did this impact you? Cause that's the truth of who I am. How did my story inspire you to be better? How, who will you call? What will your commitments be? And that just keeps me in a healthier place. So I've learned things like that. Yeah. Hey everyone. I interrupt this program to introduce you to an amazing adventure. Do you want to embrace fear and get clarity and conviction on your goals? How would you like to join me in an epic Colorado adventure where we will hike a famed 14,000-foot peak, camp under the stars, mastermind around the campfire, and build lifelong friendships? I'm partnering with Belay Expeditions to create a retreat that will not only rejuvenate your soul, but level up your life. We will get clarity on your three C's dream, create a roadmap to your dreams, and build the conviction that you need to pursue them with confidence. Join me at the top of the world, September 14th through the 17th. Visit belayexpeditions.com slash retreats and click on my pretty face to sign up. Space is limited, so sign up now. Well, that's, that's, and I mean, I think, well, obviously the US talk, it, it, it really connected with me because I related a lot to it. And, um, and I like that idea that you've become, that, that you said power is your aware is awareness there's there's aware or something like there's power in awareness right mm-hmm. that um how do you have any tools or anything like that that you've used or that you can recommend to others that can help them become more self-aware so that they can start to uh, acknowledge those points where they're living in that fear and maybe have to lean into love yeah i think um well for me I have like physical reminders, like mm-hmm. this piece of artwork behind me. I had an artist that worked for us for a long time. I had her listen to my fear interview and I had her paint that for me. So it's, you know, uh, elegant circles to everyone else. But for me, it's a visual reminder of my journey and my commitment. Um, I have decided to be very public about what I've gone through because it's a huge part of accountability to me. Yeah. yeah. When other people are in on the joke, when other people are in on your journey, not only does it free them to go on their journey, but it holds you accountable to things that you've decided to become and move to. And, you know, there's lots of things like joining Facebook communities. People do this in all kinds of formats. Um, I'm hard to pin down because I have a lot of kids and stuff. And so I just like crowdsource accountability in that way of people I respect, my my leadership team, my company knows, you know, I did on the podcast mm-hmm. and it holds me accountable to who I'm becoming yeah, um, and that, I don't keep it a secret. Yeah, that that's that's helpful. I mean, and I found I found a lot of the same things too. Is that there there's a lot of accountability in in doing a podcast like this and being very open. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, coming from a background where you know I had I, I was an alcoholic and everything like that. Certainly finding that in there, but it wasn't able to really really find out who I was until I started being open and vulnerable mm-hmm. about it. And, you know, about who I am and what what I've gone through. So there's a lot of power in that. And what was what was the trigger point or or was was there a single incidence or was it a combination of instances where you were basically just kind of fed up and you said, no more of this. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a change. And what what was that process? How did how did you turn that corner? I think that my, my moment of realization, I th- I think I had like mm, I'd been dancing towards it. And, and I kind of said this in the EOS talk too, of like I'd fixed everything outside of me between like mm-hmm. 2018 and 2021, my business, my marriage. Um, I felt like I was like, I wasn't living inside a tornado anymore. Yeah. Um, and so there was peacefulness around me, but I still felt a sense of unsettledness about my own role in going forward. And, and there's, Maybe a clue there. I don't know. I haven't really done a lot of reflecting on that. Of, I, I had to call. I had to get the waters calm. Yeah. Uh, out. At least that's how I had to do it. Maybe that's unique to my makeup. 
before I could be like, now where do I go next? Um, and what does that mean? And what do I, I need? Cause I had a lot of responsibility. I, I, I couldn't like exit stage left and be like, I'm going to go get healed for three weeks and come back. It just wasn't in the cards. Yeah. You had to stay in it and keep, yeah. keep working it. Yeah. Okay. And I, I think I, I think in that process, I learned about where I was part of the dysfunction. I mean, if everything you're touching is dysfunctional, mm-hmm. you probably have a role you're playing in that. Um, and, and so I had to like be honest with myself about that. And, um, and I had even been through like, you know, Jared and I went to therapy. I had gone through a year and a half or so of like working with a therapist, just getting, you know, working through forgiveness and all the things that come with getting peaceful waters around you. Yeah. Um, and in 2020, uh, I, in an unplanned, uh, my, we had, we got pregnant with our fourth daughter. I, it was unplanned. We didn't know what we didn't, when we went to have her, I didn't know what the gender was. We already had three girls. Mm-hmm. I was 40. You know, of course, the ending of the story is going to be, it's a boy. My husband is the only son. The name will live on forever. You know, that's exactly <laughs> right. how the story is going to end. I just know it is. And then she was a girl, right. um, which we're great, very grateful for. But I did say to my husband, I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> um, when they ended her to us. But there was something about this just definitive realization that I am a mom of girls and I will be a mom of women. And, mm-hmm. you know, parents imprint hard on their kids. But there was this, it kind of makes me emotional thinking about it. There was just this moment where I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm a mom of girls and I will be a mom of women. And so who I become will be the most impressionable woman in their life. And I have a responsibility with that. And maybe if it would have been a son, I would have felt the same way. But that was the moment where I was like, oh, this feels big. I didn't picture this. And um, I think I took responsibility for myself in a new way. Um, Mm. And in in a way that was very unashamed. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, and you've probably been through that in your own journey too, of being like, I don't have any shame about where I was. And that's part of my story. And it's as much a part of me as the things that people see that are good. And I hold them with equal ownership. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, feeling, at least feeling the shame and this might be just me, but, you know, feeling the shame in, in other instances in my life led me to have a better relationship with not having to experience it later. Yeah. Is that, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Having, having gone through those kinds of, of things that the kinds of things that you've gone through uh, of being overwhelmed and, you know, and, 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 and that leads to, you know, you just being able to be a better example for your kids and hopefully they don't have to go through that. And I know you, you'd mentioned, you know, you were, you were the daughter of an entrepreneur and that was, your dad was the entrepreneur, right? In Mm -hmm. the family. Yeah. And he, Mm -hmm. um, he had a lot of influence on you as far as, as, as the entrepreneurial spirit. You started your first business when I think you were 14. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then kept, kept going with that. And so did, w- do you look back on that experience as like the impact that he had? And he said, you said he was, he had high expectations of you. Do you look back on that as something that was positive for you? Is it something you're trying to pass on to your kids or how, how do you use that now to fuel you? Yeah, I, I have, um, I mean, I have a, a ton of gratitude for the intentionality that my parents had in raising us and my dad specifically with fin- being financially literate, you know, knowing how to read an income statement, a balance sheet, mm-hmm. filing a 1040 easy when before I could drive. Like just, I think it breaks, it broke down the scariness of a lot of these things that become like, hard walls to have courage to jump over when you're an adult and you're supposed to know stuff, but you don't know it. Um, So I'm so grateful for all of that. I think the part that I hope, um, and my parents are way better at this now than when we were kids. And I would say this to them too, if they heard this, they would nod their heads. I think the idea of being very present for yourself emotionally was not a thing in my household. My parents are both preacher's kids. Mm -hmm. um, And, there is a sense of service when that's what you grow up around. They both, you know, their grand, their dads were both pastors. And so their dad was, their job was to take care of everybody else. 
which means there's you have to be okay because there's not time for your problems or your emotions or your space that you need to take up. Mm-hmm. And so that came into my childhood, not that it was like shut up and stop crying, but it was a, a household filled with service, which is very productive, household filled with a lot of work, which is very productive, household filled with a lot of personal agency, which is a lot very productive. And I had to learn <laughs> that it is okay if I have a bad day, it is okay if I need to cry for my own reasons. It is okay if I just can't. It is okay. And I had to learn that as an adult because I naturally perform. I naturally, you know, can push really hard and I had to learn it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, do you think that in our, in our attempts to, because I, I felt the same way that, that you know, I, I really love the intentions of my parents. I mean, we had very sounds like we had a very similar background in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, but I found that, you know, that there's, there's things that I need to repair personally that were ingrained early in childhood, which makes me feel like to my kids that I'm going to be, I'm just going to, no matter what I do, I'm going to screw them up in some mm-hmm. way, no matter how hard I try. Do you ever feel that? Yeah, I, yeah. I do. And I yeah. will say as much to them sometimes as like, I mean, last night I was so annoyed with them my daughter sitting here right beside me and she wanted to go to her friends today. It was very inconvenient for me. I needed to come to the office and do some stuff. I was really annoyed that they didn't help out more around just like observe the house and what has to happen every single day. Can you please do it for a second? I was like really mad. I was like, literally guys, I don't know if my job right now as a parent is to like give you a consequence of like, no, you can't like take some agency or to be like, it's summer. I understand you're getting out of bed at 6.15 in the morning to go to swim practice and you're tired and you're a teenager. And I'll just say like, I don't know what the right, I don't know what the right call is right now, but this is my call. And I think my like antidote to foolishness maybe is to be like, at least I understood the options and you knew I had options and I picked one and maybe you'll look back and be like, you picked the wrong one and I'm still mad. It's like, (laughs) well, at least you knew I was thinking about it. (laughs) So I don't know. (laughs) I do think that though, I have a brother-in-law that says, you want them just screwed up enough that they're funny and relatable. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. Isn't that funny? It's like, it's kind of true. That's so true. I mean, well, I mean, yeah, we, we want to at least, I think that's maybe the best lesson we can give to our kids is that we're all human, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that, that we're all going to make mistakes and, and the, our parents aren't perfect. We're not perfect. We're mm-hmm. not going to be that. And, uh, so, so yeah, so, uh, kind of getting into getting back to the life of Anne, which is what we, what we started with. If you can talking about what you've been through, how you are living in that, in, in the definition of, of living a life of Anne. How are you living a life of and now and how is that creating abundance for you? Yeah, I can speak to kind of how the idea came to be and then I'll talk about outlooks in my own life. Um, I saw it as a very binary thing initially that I can be have peace in my life and it can be sustainable or I can dream big. Mm -hmm. And those felt like really crappy choices. Yeah. And and so I I, I was like, I don't, I don't like that. Like I was living this, you know, chaotic existence of and let's call it. And I felt like the only way to get to like a place where life was sustainable and I wasn't causing madness and being a burden for everybody in my life was just to be like, okay, I'll just want simpler things. And I hated that. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know which one I hate more. I hate both of them. How can that be? And so I started to ask myself, well, how do I create a life of and where the, where the, um, imperative is that it's sustainable. Mm-hmm. Meaning we are not living in this sort of like feast and famine, rush of energy. Then we go on vacation, extreme, like, you know, up till three in the morning. Then I can't get out of bed till, you know, 10. Like, I, I, what, if, what if I'm just like, no, the, the imperative is that it becomes sustainable. And so I started disconnecting the question of what I want to do from how I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And asking myself, like, what do I want to do? I use this example. I want to learn how to play um, pickleball. It's so, you know, it's so cool. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> doing it. It's like all the rage. It's I have popular. four kids. Yeah. yeah, it's so popular. It's social. It's not that hard, actually. Um, you know, it's a country club sport. My husband golfs. I just feel like I would love it. Um and so my question is, that's what I want to do. Instead of just impulsively signing up for lessons. Mm. and starting to play, 
I've been asking myself, how? How do I get this in my calendar so that it's a sustainable part of my life? Meaning my kids don't have to sacrifice, you know, me there in the morning and the evening. I don't have to give up, you know, compromise a commitment. And so the thing that I have come to is I'm on three boards. Two of those I'm, I roll off at the end of this year, this calendar year. And when those come off my calendar, I will start playing pickleball. Because okay. when I look at the total number of hours that I spend on those boards, I want to use that to move towards an and that I want to add to my life. And so I get to make that choice. What am I serving and what am I growing? Um, and so the what I want to do versus how I want to do it, separating those questions were really helpful for me because I don't want it to be like, oh, I played pickleball for six months and then I can't anymore because something got added. Yeah. I want it to be a sustainable part of my life. And I don't want it to be a thing that takes me away from the relationships that I'm trying to feed. So how do I do it? So mm-hmm. that's an example. Okay. So, and, and when you, when you do that, when you're, when you're looking at how you do it and you recognize that you might have to sacrifice something else, like maybe, you know, when you're dropping off a board, not re reassigning to it or something mm-hmm. like that, do you find that, that that kind of reinforces your conviction to do it? Totally. Okay. Because yeah. if, if they ask me, do you want to do another board term? And I don't know what I'm going to do with that time. It's like, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, okay. But that's not moving. Like, I um, I am feeling very hard right now. I need some play in my life. There's just a lot of, it's, it's just a lot of responsibility. And I just need some play. Yeah. And had I not thought through that, um, not that the joining, re, you know, re-upping would be a bad thing. I'm just like really clear about this is where I need to move my energy towards. And I'm I'm excited about that. Um, and there's lots of examples of that, but I have learned being able to say yes to everything doesn't mean you can say yes to everything today, but when you feel like you have, you're working towards a plan and you're working towards assembling, you know, different kinds of help, partnership with a friend, maybe one and you want to add is like a monthly date night with your husband and you only have $50 a month to do it. Okay. That's an and I want to add. How do I do that? I can think of like 15 different ways that we could maybe try to do that. Yeah. Then you start to solve towards the things that you want to be growing. And it's a very different kind of behavior. I was very reactionary. I was like, hi, I'm a high quick start. And so like, boom, 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 let's get to it. And it was madness and it was unsustainable. And um, deciding that you're going to live a life that's sustainable is a real, is important. Sounds freeing. Yeah. It is. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's very and so, and then, you know, met you at, or didn't meet you, but saw you speak at the U.S. conference. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that at least for EOS is a very freeing concept as well. It, it, it helps us to let go of the vine. That's one of their key, you know, statements there. What uh, was, was that whole transformation that you went through? Did EOS play into that? How did you, how did you come into EOS world? Yeah, I, um, I have, I have learned, um, yeah, I mean, I their promise is like helping entrepreneurs get what they want out of their businesses. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, look at this pile of crap and see what you can do with that. <laughs> like, that was literally my like, oh, really? Good luck with yourself was kind of my like, <laughs> you know, okay, isn't that cute? Um, but I told my team, we don't have any other, if we knew what to do, we would already be doing it. We don't know what to do. We're growing yeah. the business, but we're not growing profit. That doesn't work long term. I was smart enough to know that. Um, and I was like, I'm sure there's other options, but we got to do something. And it's kind of, I look at it as like getting fit. I mean, there's like 40,000 different ways to do it. Just pick one and do it. Yeah. And I kind of had that attitude. Just pick one and do it. Um, I totally believe we picked the right thing for us, but it was not as like discerning as everybody might imagine. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I had met some people that had done well on it. We tried implementing a little bit ourselves, um, Part of being a three is you want to literally demand excellence of everything. And so I was like, well, if we're going to do it, we're going to be the best. And mm-hmm. so what's it look like to be the best? Um, so, yeah, it was life changing. It's been transforming in the way that I think. Um, I think even the dissection of what versus how probably comes to some IDS thinking, you know, yeah. like what is the issue uh, discussed to solve? And I think it's slowing my brain down has probably been one of the most powerful lessons for me in the US. Yeah, that's something I still struggle with a lot is 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 slowing it down and not wanting to just like fix everything at once. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, 
Um, and there's so much discernment in giving yeah. things time. I, it is so countercultural. But man, I have seen some really, I'm using air quotes, slow people win real fast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a great observation. I, lo- mm-hmm. I love that. And, you know, part of that sound, it, it, it sounds like a lot of what plays into that is discipline. You talk a lot about discipline, too. I think it's even one of mm-hmm. the one of your three behaviors for change that mm-hmm. you talk about. Uh, does discipline, you know, Jocko Willink says discipline equals freedom. Do you feel that that's that's accurate? A hundred percent. I think yeah. that I had to learn. You've got to decide what you're going to be caged by. Mm-hmm. your discipline or your reactive outcomes. And I was caged by my reactive outcomes. I didn't have the money I needed. I didn't have the freedom I needed. I didn't have the relationships I wanted. And I was caged by that. And I think when you're an undisciplined person, you you wrongly look at discipline and say like, well, look how free I am. But you're just, you're caged by subpar outcomes. Um, and then yeah. when you have discipline, you're caged by the things you've chosen to get the outcomes you want. And yeah, discipline is so acute to me because I'm so naturally bad at it. So it takes a lot of horsepower for me to stay disciplined. I set a lot of traps. Mm -hmm. I pay, like I've said, like I pay a trainer. It's just around discipline. It's not that I don't know what to do. (laughs) It's just, (laughs) I just, I just won't do it. And it's like, I just, I just have had to learn the sum of that I have to pay for. And I'm not mad about that. I used to, I used to, kind of be ashamed of that. Yeah. So, and, and you said, uh, set a lot of traps. What, what Can you expand on that a little bit? Like, what do you mean by set a lot of traps? Yeah. I mean, I, um, like I will publish my goals to my mm. leadership team. I use my assistant and be like, this is what I'm planning to do. I need you to hold me accountable to this in our weekly L10. I need you to make sure the scorecard, like, I just like, it's a trap for myself. I, um, the podcast is a trap where I'll say like, Hey, we're going to do, I'm going to do this for three weeks. And it's a trap of like, I got to do it because somebody's expecting it. Yeah. Because I'm a performer and I'm an achiever. If somebody else knows about it, I'm like so much more likely to do it. Cause I want them to be like, Oh, you did good. <laughs> <laughs> so silly. Yeah. Um, but a trap was like, yeah, the trainer's waiting for me. He got out of bed for me. I need to be there or I'm going to yeah. look bad and he's going to be mad at me. So that's, that's a great, I love that way of putting it like that. Yeah. Setting it, setting a trap. Um, and what, uh, what are you, what are you most challenged by now? So you're right now, you know, you're, you're living the life of and you've got a lot of these frameworks in place to try to help you to do that, to, to implement that. What are your biggest challenges that you're trying to work through? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah, no, not at all. I am working right now on how to, you know, the, I don't know, the first 10 to 15 years of my career, I spent building up giant ball of chaos in the last five years, I got, I think, a really good toolbox of mm-hmm. how to get the waters calm. And now I get to move into like innovation and creation and creativity and taking some swings and, you know, placing some more dollars on a bet. And and I have a lot of confidence in my solving mind, but I have less confidence in my innovation and creative mind. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm paying a lot of attention to that. Um, I'm right now taking myself through the artist's way. I don't know if you've heard of that before. Oh yeah. Um, I had not, but like four people told me about it in a span of four weeks, and I was like, I guess I'm supposed to do this. Um, and it's exercising my mind. It's putting some new disciplines in my time that are very uncomfortable for me. And so I'm observing that I'm in an innovation and creation and risk taking in a different way in my career. And, um, it's uncomfortable and that's exciting. Yeah. Well, the, mm-hmm. a lot of, yeah, most of our excitement comes from discomfort and I'm, so it's glad, I'm glad to hear that. It's exciting to, exciting to see where your journey is going to take you. Cause I'm excited to see it. And, um, and you know, with element three, what, what are, can you tell us a little bit about that? What your company does, how, where, you know, how you help people? Yeah. We work with mid-market companies um, and we help them professionalize their marketing. So what that means is a lot of times mid-market companies that are at inflection point of growth, they've got new leadership, you know, new generation of family taking over, acquisition, maybe private equity came in and the strategy is flexing further than their marketing competency knows how to follow. And so we will come in and help them 
build an organization, build the disciplines, build the processes, build the team, put the infrastructure in place, the technology, and we'll run that for them for a series of 18 months to three years. But our goal, what we observed about the marketplace is that brands who create long-term value, they ultimately own marketing as a function, as Mm. part of their culture, as part of the way they think, as part of the way they think about their enterprise. Um, And so when we would get called for projects, we would know instantly whether or not that was going to be helpful or just, you know, an invoice that we got to (laughs) cash a check on behind it. And um, our goal with our with element three is to build long-term enterprise value. And we felt like if the, if we want to do that really for others, we have to build it in the way we would if we were owners of it and not just trying to perpetuate our own business model as an agency. So um, it's exciting work. We're usually coming in where there's a lot of change. There's a lot of change management needed. Uh, and it's fun because it's both people work and marketing work. What size or what type of companies are you looking to to partner with on that kind of stuff? Um, so they're, we say mid market. So anywhere between probably like 50 million and 500 million, something like that. Nice. Okay. Um, so pretty, I mean, they're pretty sophisticated enterprises. Usually they're like for, for years have been product led, you know, they're like their product had a certain niche in the marketplace, um, could be, um, um, yeah. So that kind of thing, like mid market. So mid market companies that are going through some sort of transition succession mm-hmm. or something like that long, yep. longer term nice that's uh yeah i know i know yeah the company that that i'm in we we fit right into that demographic and so i know the transitions the succession planning very well and how much of a challenge it can be and especially when you want to want to create that kind of change so yep. amazing and um and you've got a podcast called scared confident which is amazing it's one of my uh one of my new favorites Thank you, Adam. I, I love it. I, I think we have a lot of uh, a lot of commonalities there. So if you're listening to this show, you will love that show as well. And uh, and fi- and you can find Tiffany on tiffanysouter.com. And Tiffany, where else can people find you? And what else uh, would you like people to know? Yeah, that's the best place um, on the pod. If you, um, I also have a week a newsletter that goes out every other week. If you want to get a little closer to some of the hacks that I have in my life of ants and our busy household, and uh, then I share those there as well. But if you listen to the podcast in show notes, you will uh, find a way to to connect to the newsletter. So thanks for having me, Adam. I appreciate the conversation a lot. Oh no, thank you, and I'm I'm really glad I got to see you speak, and that you were willing to come on the show. This was an amazing interview. I, I'm I'm very grateful for it. So thank you for joining me, and to everybody else out there, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Flow Over Fear podcast. If you're enjoying this show, please do me a favor and hit the subscribe button. I will be so grateful if you do, and I'll look forward to bringing you more value in our next episode. I'll see you then.